Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Today we have Derek from Engineer My Freedom, right? This is a blog, a podcast, and what else, Derek? Welcome to, to our podcast. Thank, thanks a for having me on, guys. It's a, it's a pleasure. I've been finally for, for a little bit. Um, and yeah, you're, you're right. I have a blog, mainly podcast, just because of time. I'm, I'm so busy lately, so I, I focus a lot on the podcast. It's called Dividend Talk, and I, I do it with one of my European friends. He's called European DGI. That's pretty much it's, it's hard to fit everything in. I know you guys must feel the same trying to trying to run this channel and, and do your, your day jobs at the same time. Yes, and I think so the the story of how we met you, at least you know, on Twitter or on online was that guy has been very active on Twitter, at least more than me in the last years. And he said <laughs> yeah. he has been one of your followers. And so he was uh, you know telling me about these European investors because usually we hear more about American-based investors. Like in Europe, I think it's not yeah. such a such a big thing. And so for us, of course, was was something very nice to to read your your blog and to also listen to some of the podcasts. And I was also, you know, kind of impressed about how precisely you write about why you got interested into it and about the pension, let's call it pension yeah. problem, right? You 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 mentioned yeah. this episode. Uh, I don't know. It, was it in two thousand and nine in in Waterford? Am I am I right? Yeah, so so I, I worked in it was, I, I live in Waterford, where I live, and, and there's a place called Waterford Crystal. It's known all over the world. It's it's pretty big actually, particularly in, in America. And at the time, lots of people from the city would have worked in in this factory. So you you couldn't walk down the street without meeting two, three, four people working there. And um, I started my own journey. I was an electrician first, so I started there. I moved on to to engineering somewhere else, but at the time it was closing down, and people some people were getting left go but they weren't getting their pensions so people had worked there since they're 16 17 18 my father-in-law included so you could see how hard it was for people coming out of that with no no money no pension no backup plan too old to get another job and it was a lot of devastation around the area for me i would say 10 10 years before it, it got back up onto its feet and that was coupled then with the time of the financial crisis around that time so there was a lot of a lot of factors and a lot of hardship at the time. So I, I always remember at that time um, looking at my father-in-law and, and thinking, I don't want to be in that position. Um, as, as good as he is and he has lots of lots of help, I, I didn't want to be that. So I, I made it a point not to rely just on, on the pension because at the end of the day, you're, you're paying him money for however I meant. If you start at 20, you're paying for 40, maybe 50 years. The age is going up. I think it's now at 67. I don't want to be working until I'm 67. And then with the risk of it not getting it back at all is was was quite a big quite a big deal in my mind. So that's that's why I, I went my own investment route. It took me a while to stumble onto dividend investing. I tried as as many people do, lots of different things, failed, got greedy, got no and so on and so on. But it's uh, always been a goal of mine to one, reach financial freedom area and two, pass that knowledge on to my kids. And that's that's my two my two main goals. Yeah, that's great. It's something that really has to be taught because it's not something that we learn at school and especially in Europe, no. I think investing is seen no. as something like you shouldn't do basically, it, right? You should just contribute to um, your pension and that's it. It's 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 funny because my, my oldest son is actively involved in picking his own. I, I let him he has his own portfolio. Um it's under my wife's name just because it's you can't have a kid's account, but he picks all his own companies. I have no say or input or, or anything. I, I sit down with him, I will go through an annual report I believe and I'll ask him basic questions why do you like the company what do you think they do and, and 
I just let him do it that way. And he tells all his teachers when they ask him, what does he want to do? What does he say? I'm an investor. <laughs> and they're all, their minds are always are blown from it. But he, he recently had one and he started like our second, it's our second year, secondary level school. And he mentioned that and the teacher was trying to put him off with saying, oh, the stock market's crashing. And, this. <laughs> oh, and, and he and he was there to be fair. He said, I think it's the best time to buy because <laughs> we're getting value now. And I mean, this man is 12 years old. It took me 30, 33 or 34 years to even start thinking that. But I mean, if, if that's a little bit of the legacy I can leave him, then I've, I've done my job, I think. And we also know how important it is to start early, right? So the, yeah. fortunately, it will not take a crisis for him to, to yeah. you know, start investing. So Of course. And look, if he's going to make mistakes when he's between the ages of 12 and 20, the, the money he's put, putting in is not going to be life-changing for him. He has all that opportunity to earn more. So it's not a huge, like, that's why I say to him, don't worry about the money. And once it's in there, it's gone. And, and see how it goes, but it's definitely he has he has a head head start. So, and can can you tell us so before going to you know your investing style today? What was your journey uh, investing journey? So you started with some ideas, you know, because when you start, you, you don't know anything, right? If you don't have yeah. somebody like you with your son, you know, saying okay, yeah. may, maybe you can do this, you can do that. But if you have to start from scratch, then uh, investing can be very complex, you know, very broad. You don't know where to look at. You don't know who to trust. So can you tell us uh, maybe some of your errors or some, some of the things that uh, eventually convinced you that uh, what you do now yeah. makes a lot of sense? So after the 2009 incident with, with pensions, I looked, at, I looked at the stock market and I had a little bit of a history in trading, not, not on financial. So on sports betting. Um, I don't know if it's available in Scandinavia, but certainly in the UK and Ireland, there's a betting company called Betfair that you can back horses to win or teams to win or back them to lose. So you can you can play both sides. So it's essentially buying calls, selling puts, something similar. Um, mm. So with that, it was, it was quite successful. So I thought I could easily transition into trading on the stock market. Um, I went into currencies first. I lost, oh man, I lost a lot of money <laughs> right? at, at the start. So, and But it, wa it wasn't even losing the money. It was the feeling I had. So I knew that that was too risky for me. So I, I had to be really, really honest with myself and, and say, okay, what is my risk tolerance? What, what was that feeling like when I was down five grand, six grand, seven grand? Okay? And it wasn't nice. And I knew, I knew then that trading wasn't, wasn't the way I wanted to go. You do a lot of reading in Ireland and everything else about property. And ETFs are the two big ones, uh, mainly property. But then we had that financial crisis with the financial crisis, with the pension crisis. But on top of that, you had the Celtic Tiger in Ireland, which burst, property burst. So a lot of people lost a lot of money in property. And you also needed to put a lot more money up front in property, which I, which I didn't have. So it kind of led me down the road. Okay, either ETFs or do I just buy individual companies? Um, I looked at ETFs for a long, long time, but in Ireland, we have this rule called the deemed disposal rule. It's where you have to pretend to sell your ETF, your assets, every eight years. So you, you hold it for eight years. And the eight year, you have to calculate what profit you made if you sold it, even if you don't sell it, and pay tax on that, and then do that every year afterwards. So straight, straight away, I'm like, okay, that's, that's losing a lot of the benefits of compounding. And I, I just right. can't get I can't get my head around it. Um, so 
I just focused purely on the stock market as a whole and kind of dividend stocks to our blue chip companies, safe companies, stock companies I could understand had history of balance sheets. All I had everything there in front of me. And then that income. When I got that first dividend payment, it was like I think it was about two or three euro or what but it was like, wow, the, these companies are paying me every month, every quarter. And I just got I just got hooked on it and I've been I've been following that strategy now for about four four years. I can totally relate okay, so to the ETF story because you know, guy that, uh, lives in Sweden, they don't have such yeah. rules, but they live in Denmark and they do taxes on unrealized gains on ETFs. So yeah. I think when I was starting, I didn't want to spend time, you know, researching for stocks. I I've always thought it wasn't for me. But then when I yeah. learned that I would have been taxed on unrealized gains on ETFs, I was like, okay, well. That's the only way to go. Then it, it's it's very really weird, mean, honestly. Like it, it's crazy, isn't it? Like I mean, you have to pretend to sell something, and not not only is it a nightmare trying to track it. So you, you have to you have to track everything for eight years, and then you have to go and I mean, that that's just it's just not for me. Now, to to be fair, there's been lots of different studies done over here because it's quite contentious, and if you follow a dividend paying. The strategy like I do, and depending on your tax bracket, we got a lower end and a higher end. Certainly, if you're in the higher end, the difference is not too big. I mean, you could follow an ETF strategy quite easily and make the same returns as, as my strategy, but it's just the, the nightmare, the logistics behind it, having to file it every eight years. I'd rather just write, This is my income, and, and I'm going to go. I don't, I don't want to pretend to say something because the, the, there's a high chance you miss something and then you, you get into all sorts of trouble. And so this is only true for ETFs, right? So it's not true. Yeah. 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 Okay. Only only for ETFs and European ETFs. US ETFs are different. Um, they are taxed like normal stocks. But the kicker there is is that it's harder for European citizens, which you yeah. might know, to, to buy US stocks. Um, so we, we have to buy UC, I don't know why I always get it, UC ETFs. Yeah. 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 So that, that's what we have to buy. So they are taxed at that. If we if we could buy Vanguard and the US ones, they would be taxed, but it's so, so hard. So usually there are ways around it. For example, you you can set up accounts in America, get American addresses, but there's always risks, isn't there? And, and there's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's estate taxes to take account of. You could buy uh, you could sell puts, but then you have to buy them in, in hundreds and and so on. So I prefer I prefer just to just to stick to European and US companies for the moment. I'm convinced that it, it's a blessing in disguise that eventually yeah. this will pay out, you know, um, much more than I, just buying passively the ETF. I, I do think so, but but I found a real passion for for dividend growth investing and, and analyzing companies. I mean, we have a whole European community. We're talking pretty much every day about this. But there's lots of people. I, will, I look at my wife, for example, who has no interest, none, and she's never going to. But people like that, I feel ETFs. You, you buy one, two ETFs, you're buying the whole world. It is so easy and, and so beneficial, mm. but it just makes it mm. so hard. So, so in one sense, yes, it's a blessing in disguise, but I think about mm. the people then that don't have that passion, don't have that drive. They right. are missing out hugely because of these types of rules. Especially when then on the other side, the pension scheme is not well thought at all. And so sometimes these people would not even have a good pension. Like we come from Italy, as we've said at the beginning, and there was this story a few years ago about this orange sleep. 
that the government would send yeah. you home with some sort of the, you know the the forecast of your pension written there and there were so many bad surprises like just a three-digit pension after you have worked for your entire life uh, earning you know a yeah. bit more than that right maybe 10 times that it, it should be legal in a way but okay maybe let's <laughs> get into that and uh, I, I think we could have a whole episode of bashing pensions here if we, if we wanted you also have this, exactly. this plot on your on your blog where you nicely show i guess more or less your your goal like you have the monthly expenses you have the uh, yeah. monthly dividend pre-tax and after-tax. And so I guess now you are in the stage where you are constantly reinvesting the dividends, right? Uh, I, I, that, that, that's my yeah. understanding. For example, in this case, how does it work in Ireland? Do you have to pay taxes on the dividends even if you reinvest them right away? Or do they let you reinvest the entire yeah. sum? We, we have to pay taxes. taxes. So you, you pay your withholding tax up front. And then depending on the, the tax ban that you're in, you, you file the rest of it in. October, so this month, October, the end of this month, you can start filing your taxes. Um, and then in, in December, you file, file the final year and pay the, pay the balance of it. So, I have um, to say, it's very motivating for everyone when you, you read a blog like yours to see these yeah. goals clearly stated there and the plot, you know, even though, of course, that's like a mathematical model, right? Of course, there's going to be a lot of oscillations yeah. around those lines. It's very nice to see that there is a rational that you know can lead you to that goal in 2030, 2032, whatever that will be, where you will yeah. reach financial independence. And really having I, someone like you that documents this along the way, I think it's very nice. Not just for you, I guess, but you know for all of us. Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the reasons I, I started doing it was products. It used to always motivate me, and it's always nice to to look back, see what you have predicted, and then if you hit or exceed, especially if you exceed that goal. You, you get it. I get a buzz off. It's a bit, a bit of excitement. So I, I enjoy doing it. My blog, to be fair, has taken a little bit of a backseat because my work has got more demanding, which is kind of an offset. It's not what I want to do. I want to work less. But in the short term, I need to get more money to invest more money. So I need to, to work harder. So I'm very motivated on the work side to just rise the levels as quick as I can, get as much money, invest. I, I try and invest 50, 60% of my money, and then I'll reach my goal a lot quicker. And, and pull back and maybe spend more time in Malaga and, and sunshine places than, mm -hmm. than the cloudy Ireland. <laughs> As Warren Buffett says, uh, someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. So it takes maybe a decade plus, uh, uh, <laughs> maybe 15 years to, to reach these goals. But it's also very hard to, to stick to, to the plan, uh, right? So you, you have to be motivated and uh, I guess that uh, if you uh, follow, uh, you know, your, yeah. as you said, your targets, then, then you continue to, to think, okay, this is working. So this is yeah. real. And uh, it, it was certainly, certainly tough around maybe just after COVID, we had the, the existential growth stocks. Remember, they were just, they were flying and everybody online was talking about you should own all these companies. There are companies, to be fair, I, don't, I either didn't understand the business model. Or I didn't understand how they're going to make money in five, ten years. But it was always so hard seeing people make so much money, and you're yeah. sitting on the sidelines, which are boring dividend stocks making five, six percent right. a year. Yeah. Um, mm. But what I found was the blog, the podcast, they hold me accountable. So I'm very honest with everything I do. Any mistakes I make, I've made lots of mistakes, but I'm very honest and open about it. And also having a community. So because of the blog and because of the podcast. We do speak with lots of different Europeans from lots of different countries who go through lots of different emotions. And we always help each other to stay on track. And 
when the bubble burst a little bit, we were kind of sitting there going, well, thankfully we didn't listen to all the FOMO online and we, we had each other and we, we stuck, stuck to our plans. Before going uh, to some detail about uh, how to, to select the stocks and how to, to manage the portfolio, but I, I would like to have a big picture idea about the psychology of investing. Suppose that now there is a lot of talk about uh, a bear market, right? I mean, may, maybe we are yep. going to a recession and so on. Uh, and of course, uh, being invested in, in dividend stocks, you know, with very stable and growth and uh, history of, of doing this, yeah. it's uh, uh, kind of reassuring. But then, uh, you know, when there's a bear market, typically old risk assets go down, they are correlated, you know, the Johnson & Johnson goes down w without a clear reason, uh, as much as uh, some, something else that has not 60 years of, uh, of dividend uh, history. And so it, it's always hard, right? But what is your uh, approach? Are you actually excited when that happens? Because you think, okay, now I can buy, you know, uh, for example, Johnson & Johnson at a much lower price, you know, the dividend yield is not i don't know two percent yeah. it's it's five percent on on j and j no it's, it's definitely a more exciting time for me if, if, if you look at my portfolio sometimes i feel there's a little bit of a value investor there if you look at some of the companies i i have i pick companies like shell walgreens intel and all them mm -hmm. were at deep discount and had they had problems but i still believe they generate enough cash flow and in five ten years time they will still be fundamentally sound as a business but they were going in there known as turnaround companies. They, they had problems that they, that they have to work through. Right now we are in companies, like you mentioned, Johnson Johnson, Microsoft. We're having all these types of companies drop, coming down to levels, giving me a 3 4 5% start lead, which I could never even have dreamed of before. So it's definitely an exciting time. It also helps that I invest monthly and, and not one huge lump sum. I think that helps because I don't feel I'm missing out too much. And then even if it drops and drops some more, I'm still investing each each and every month. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm genuinely am excited. Um, the more it drops, the better. And I, the more, like Nike, for example, I've been waiting for Nike for, for a long time to drop under 100. Once they drop to, to $80, which I think they most certainly will, I call me a buyer because I've been waiting, because they've been trading at 130, 140 for a long, long time. But now they're starting to come down. And, and yeah, no, I am. You can see with a smile on my face. And I'm actually really, really yeah, excited. Yeah. But but I do understand yeah, yeah. that it is it is hard, and sometimes even for me, sometimes because I'm in such a routine of putting money in at the same time each month, it's it's nearly automated now. But sometimes you get that feeling: what if I wait? What if I wait? And right. and it's hard it's hard to balance that. But but again, I'm held accountable by my blog and by my podcast, so so I, I do it. But I think long term, that's more beneficial for me. It's it's keep me in a routine, keep me in a habit. And, Hopefully, it will um, pay off in the long term. When you buy stocks, do you have a target dividend yield in mind and a target number of stocks in your portfolio? Or does that depend more or less on just how strong the company is? And, you know, if you just want it, you're just going to buy it and that's it. That, that, keeps, that keeps changing. Um, so, so initially, I had, uh, I had a limit of 42 companies. I had this tiered kind of um, tiered portfolio. And I'm changing over time because there's lots, there's lots of good companies there that, that I might want to own that could come into value. And sometimes I left good opportunities on the table because I, one tier was full. So, so I am changing on that. I, I try and look fundamentally at the business and cash flow in particular. Can they generate enough cash flow um, to 
pay me my dividend. And for them to generate cash flow, the, the revenue has to be good, their earnings need to be good. Um, and I also look at how much debt they have on the balance sheet. If that's manageable, like, like, like I have AT&T, for example, but if I was an investor starting now, with my knowledge now, AT&T would not be in my portfolio, but they were, I chased the yield when, when, when I was starting out. Um, so that's, that's what I look for. Starting yield, I do prefer it to be around two or three percent, but it's not a it's not a deal breaker at all. It's it's not. I have Microsoft, for example, the um, starting yield is is one percent. Um, again, it, it, business by business, I, I've lost a lot of opportunities by using metrics. I think is what people have in screeners, and now I just try and focus on on the business itself and and working there. Typically, what what I do uh, is that uh, I, I tend not to sell anything, so that eventually I, I sell, like uh, in December, just if something went utterly wrong. But I keep, you know, that position in my portfolio for a long time. If it's negative, you know, if the unrealized gain is negative, because it it keeps reminding me, you know, of that error. So I yes. I remind myself, you know, of errors that I made years and years ago. I, I remind myself of Oxy, you know, Occidental Petroleum, when they slashed the dividend many, two years ago, maybe during, I, I don't know, yeah, maybe during the pandemic. And uh, these are lessons that uh, you don't uh, forget. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to focus on your mistakes. I, I mean, I know a lot of people online and nobody likes to talk about bad things. Everybody wants to hear you know, good things. But I think as an investor, if you want to grow, because I mean, where I, where I am now, I definitely did not start for five years ago. I've, I've made mistakes in, in lots of different areas. I've, I've chased yield. I've, I've done lots, lots of different things. But I mean, as you say, I, I do something similar. I hold on to companies for a long time after I make the mistake. And every time I look at my portfolio, it's almost like a, a knife into your stomach going, oh, I can't believe I did that. And it's, it's a good way. I think, it, I think it's a good way to learn. No, I just wanted to, we, we have some questions that we usually ask like we talked about yeah. with with guy and at some point here we have you know what do you think about real estate in, in your case i think you you mentioned real, you, you write very clearly in your in your uh yeah. blog how it went so maybe for those that are you know maybe hearing about you for the first time or just that didn't read that part of your of your blog i mean could you just say briefly what you think about real estate because for example for us this is one of the reasons why we started investing because we have seen over the years that we were really not able to buy a house and so yeah. we said okay what do we do with the cash flow and what do we do to try to make a difference for us in the future because eventually yeah. we do want to own a house it's still a goal of of mine when i say goal of mine i i invest mainly in in equities but i also have a partner i have a wife and she she makes it quite clear she's happy for me to do that. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't want to understand it. But she can understand real estate. And I know she wants to have some, some, some form of investment herself. So we're working towards the long-term goal of some type of real estate for her side. So she can be involved. I mean, I talk to her all the time, but I know she, she listens politely, but she, she, doesn't, she doesn't really care about the ins and outs. But whereas with property or real estate, she can, it's an asset you can see, you can feel, you can you can really own. So from that side, where we are working towards it. In Ireland, as I mentioned, there was the Celtic Tiger. We had the property crash. As a result of that, it made it harder. I wouldn't say impossible, but it made it harder to acquire. There's a lot more restrictions among buying houses and there's a lot of red tape then around renting, the different types of taxes and so on. So there's a lot, there's a lot to learn 
So it is a long-term goal, but the focus, the focus for us at the moment is trying to pay off our mortgage and investing as much as we can. And again, the paying off our mortgage is again a tribute to the, my wife. It's it's her real goal. That's her way of investing. She gets really excited. I mean, just as excited as I do when I get a dividend. She gets really excited around and paying down an extra two hundred here, three hundred. So we try and balance balance that out. We sit down every month and we we talk about it. But I think Ireland, the rental and the real estate market is still very strong. There's a high rental market. All of our politicians are real estate owners and when you have a situation where your government owns a lot of houses and they're going to do what they can to keep the housing market strong the rental market strong so there is certainly it would be a quicker way to wealth if you can you can get there it's harder to get started but once once you're there it's definitely quicker but again it just comes down to risk and i find it hard to throw my eggs at that basket considering what happened after the financial crisis and but long term Long term is the goal, maybe to own two, three houses. When when I'm retired, I'm getting income from dividend stocks, and then my wife and I can manage manage a bit more, and then we might get some some rental income. So I don't think it's a bad idea to diversify, have at different levels of income either. Um, but certainly, it, it it's not my main it's not my main goal at the moment, purely because I want to pay down the mortgage as quickly as possible and build my portfolio as, as quickly as possible here. Yeah, do, do you think that uh, uh, the 2008 financial crisis actually changed the perspective of people or in general they just forgot about it just a few years afterwards and uh, the idea that uh, real estate always goes up is still ingrained? Because in Scandinavia it is. Because, you know, 2008 was not as uh, devastating as in other countries. So here yeah. the lesson was not learned but what about in ireland i think in ireland it would depend on your age age profile certainly um those that would have like me i was around 20 was it 22 23 24 in around that age bracket just finishing college university or getting your degrees and you're, you're going out to, to the real world um it may not have affected you like, there was effects you could see the effects around but emotionally it would not have affected you as much because you would not have been involved in it you're you're only starting to make your money you're probably not even starting to invest at that age and you're drinking with your buddies and doing that so i think for those yes they can see the devastation but i don't think they have felt it so it, it's like it has disappeared i talked to lots of lots of people they seem to forget about the financial crisis at all you talk to older guys who would have been maybe early 30s and 40s around that time and they're certainly a little bit more cautious um but also they had more experience and that they saw the crash was an opportunity and they were able to to buy up more and then obviously you had the reckless investors that were buying houses because the man on the tv said buy a house but had no real concept of the risk involved so and those people for me tend not to get back into the market i think they there's they've tried the investing thing they lost a lot of money it doesn't work and and those but i definitely think it depends on the age profile in, in ireland anyway from, from my experience and i know i would fall into that bracket i know the devastation but i just mentioned i do want to have two or three houses because it didn't emotionally affect me at, at that time but i could definitely see what it did to, to lots of people lots of people around me mm. And Ireland also had, if I remember correctly, some like a, a full 
fledged uh, banking crisis, right? The banks yeah. went essentially down and the, yeah. the government yeah. bailed them out, right? They bailed them out. One, one, one main bank went, went bust and then a couple of the other banks then were, were gobbled up with the government. I think I, I read in the news this week, or was it last week, that the government is now in the process of handing that bank back over now that it's going to be a private bank again. So then uh, after finally starting, starting to recover, but with a lot, of, a lot of help from the government and a lot of, I would say, negative feelings from, from the public. I think that when a crisis as big as that happens, you know, people start to think about, for example, counterparty risk, you know, what, what if my, my money in the bank are not there any longer, right? And I always think, okay, investing in stocks is, is even better in that case, because at least you know that your money are in, in some equity. You know, I, I have a little bit of money in that equity, a little bit of money in that equity. And you are less exposed to the bank of your country going down or whatever. Yeah, it's similar to if you had all your money in one equity. That's, that's the way it is in a bank. You have all your money with one mm. bank, so, so the risk is there. When you're in equities, you're spread. I mean, I've got 32, 34 companies. So my risk is spread across 34 companies. If, if all those companies go bust at the same time, I've got some AAA rated companies there, then we, we have a, a, a bigger problem than I need to worry about. But I mean, yes, I, I agree. For me, it's, I use the word safe loosely, but it feels safer that I'm more spread out with my money in equities rather than one place in a bank that, has more control over my money than, than I do. Governments typically like insure the, the bank account up to some point. I think in Ireland it's 20,000 euros. 20, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very small amount. It makes no sense to have more than 20,000 sitting in your account. If, if, if you're at risk of losing all of that, you mm -hmm. might as well take it out and put it under your mattress. You're, you're essentially doing the same thing. We really wanted to thank you for, for coming to this interview and, and sharing our thoughts with us because, you know, we are very small. We just started and we don't take this for granted, right? That we reach out to you and say, oh, yeah, let's, yeah. let's talk. But you also make it very clear on your, on your blog that you're very open to talk to people. And that's, I think, a very nice mindset to, to be in. Also, as you were saying yeah. before, to share your mistakes and also your, your good ideas. That, that's really nice to be fully transparent. I was just curious about not just you as an investor, but also you as a podcaster or as a blogger, because, you know, like us, you have also a job, of course, on, on the other yeah. side. And so how it is for you to manage maybe these two or three sides uh, in your life? Yeah, it was a lot easier during the pandemic, I can, I can tell you that. But, but for me at the moment, the, the blog has gone a little bit, it's my third priority. Um, I manage my investments first and then the podcast. And because I do a podcast with European DJ, your health chemical, I never want to let him down. So we, we always talk, we talk nearly every day, but we, we, that's our number one focus. Um, I don't want to let him down. If, if I don't write on a blog for three or four weeks, I, I believe that the time is definitely a lot, a lot harder than I change positions in my job. So I'm, I moved up a couple of levels. You get more responsibility. Um, I'm looking to push again. So to, to do that, I need, I need to give more time. So typically my work days are about 12 hours. I come home in the evenings, maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't focus on the stock market. I just shut off completely. Thursday, I know when we record on Friday. So I start looking at the news, what's happening. So sometimes I don't check my portfolio a whole lot. I don't need to. I only check around earnings my company's really mainly and then i also do some writing for sure dividend i don't know if that's on my blog 
So there's some freelance writing, but again, that's always around earnings season. So it's the 12 companies I follow, I'm an analyst for them, and I, and I write. So it's, the time is, is quite precious, it's quite, quite busy, especially with two kids, and you've got all that, that side of it, trying to ferry them to football and, and other sports. <laughs> but I have such a passion for it that I don't mind getting up early, I don't mind staying up late and, and, and doing these things. But, but like that, having three different channels can sometimes get get tired. So it's nice to focus on one or two and just take a break from the month for a while. Yes, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about before about discipline, right? Uh, you have to be disciplined yeah. in investing, but you also have to be disciplined to carry out your life in the way you are, right? And also for us, I can second that when you say I don't want to let him, let him down when you talk about the podcast, because I think if we were doing this alone, it would have been so much easier to give up at some point because yes. there are those days yeah. where, where you are very busy. Whereas I think if you have a common goal, it's so much easier like to say, okay, no, no, yes. I have this. We are, we are meeting on Sunday at this time. We have to do it. Let's do it. it it's yeah. very good. It, it's very inspiring to be, to be honest. I, I think so. And it's, it's I, I know European DJ is always talking to me, set up a YouTube channel. His is, I know he has five, 6,000 followers. He, he does really good. And I always say, okay, yes, yes, I will. But just finding that time. And like you said, it's easy to push that off. I'll do that tomorrow. But if I have the podcast, I have to meet him at, at a certain time. So I'm 100% going to show up for that all the time. Similarly to what we talked about investing, about your goals that in your case are very clear since you, you, know, you have that plot and you know, it, it's just there for everyone. Do you also have goals for your podcast, for example, or for your blog? Or do you just see it as a sort of... A, you know, day-to-day -day reporting activity that you're doing, or do you actually see it growing at some point where, you know, it would be something different from where it is now or, or bigger? We do, look, we do look at the numbers. It's hard not to look at and see it, it growing from a, from a listener base. But in terms of financial goals with it, making money from it, I think we are both quite similar in that we're not doing it to make money. It's the same on, on the blog. We could make money by having sponsorships or selling, selling stuff. And we've had lots of people approach us and we've turned most of them down. The other didn't go to values or if I haven't used the product, I'm not going to recommend the product. I have no real ambition of making money, leading people out to something that, that I don't do myself. Um, for us, it's passion. It's just pure passion. It's a hobby. We love, we, we were actually, before we started a podcast, we were, I, I met I met him on Twitter. We used to just call each other. We'd chat for two or three hours. And we said, hey, we're two Europeans. Why don't we just put this into a podcast. Maybe there's other Europeans that would like that. And it's just after growing and growing. And we are, it's, I would say we are, I talk to other people who have podcasts and we are larger than them, even though we don't feel that large ourselves, if, if, if that makes sense. But from a financial perspective, we have no real goals and no real ambitions there. I, I want to make my money from what I say I do. And I want to sh display and, and show that. Um, and as I said, it's just, pure passion, a hobby and a passion and someone to talk to is, is that's all I want. For example, for us, uh, we have been inspired by some people, not only in investing, but also, you know, uh, people who like you, like, like others, uh, report their journey and uh, essentially provided us with a hint that this is possible. In your case, was it internally motivated? Like it, there was the crisis and so on, but so it, it, it started from there. Or you actually saw uh, somebody else uh, saying, okay, you know, if, if you do this and this, the targets are maybe 15 years out, but, but they, yeah. they are feasible. So I started out following the dividend growth investor. 
Um, uh-huh. Everybody, anybody starts will, will know it. He used to have a newsletter. I think he charged five dollars, but he he gave you his goal was to make a thousand a month every month in dividend income by investing a thousand a month. I think it was going to take him ten years, and I followed up by by following him. And that was good. I did that for, for a year. But while I was doing that, I was reading. I was doing, I was doing other stuff. But I, I found that I was following him. I had companies in my portfolio I was not particularly comfortable with. And I didn't really understand what I was, what I was doing. So I, I'm always better learning by mistakes. So I said, OK, I, I'm still going to read these blog because he's, he's incredible. I've, I've spoken to him a few times. He's actually really, really nice guy to talk to. But I want to do my own thing. And that's why I started the blog. I wanted to document what I was doing, my thought process, what mistakes I was making, and then hopefully somebody would not copy me. I, I don't want anyone to ever copy me, but I want them to maybe learn their own journey. And if I make a mistake, maybe they it might stop them from making a similar mistake. That was that was my main motivation for, for starting mm-hmm. that. Basically, basically, it's a diary for me. And my kids and for anyone else, that was I actually did not think anybody was going to read it other than other than me. So it's quite um, it was quite surprising when you start hitting a couple of thousand readers and you're going, wow, actually people people do like this. Yeah, I think it's very important. It can be you know the catalyst for action for somebody else. So I, I think it's it's much more important than uh, than it seems uh, for you know the broader community. And so okay, j- just my last question uh, is probably more on okay on, on the portfolio I'm, I'm quite into you know these details so you contribute to the portfolio quite frequently and uh, and so i i guess that uh, you are almost always fully invested yes um i I'm, i always have most of my money i have very little savings i have enough savings for i say about six months of expenses so i calculate much and that's not discretionary expenses that's my my main bills so I can I can always pay that for six months and then the rest of it either goes into paying down the mortgage or into into my portfolio. It's not always all fully invested in the stock market because I do some calls and put some options trading so I need to hold some cash for that. Um but I certainly have most of my money in, in the stock market. That that is something you know that Many great investors uh, actually say that one should do, right? Like uh, Peter Lynch, for example, always said, you know, never try to time the market. Just you, yeah. you never know. Yeah, maybe, you know, after many years, yeah, you, you will avoid a 50% drawdown, but you don't know if, you know, the year before uh, or, or two, for two or three years before you didn't participate to, to the run up. So, and, and also like Charlie Munger uh, always says, uh, if you cannot stomach like a 50% drawdown uh, every, I don't know, 10, 15 years, uh, yeah. uh, you deserve your mediocre results or something like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Charlie is always <laughs> very straightforward. That's yeah. hard. I, I, I know what Char- Charlie is saying, but if, if you invested in 2020, right, say around March, and your portfolio yeah. would have would have grown pretty pretty high. If if you have a fifty percent drop from there, you're probably not losing money. You're probably not. Whereas if you invest in November twenty twenty one, just before it's that recession, <laughs> you have a fifty percent drop, but you have, might have a different perspective because mainly most right. of that is 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 your money. So I know that this crash, if I was to withdraw all my money now, I would not have lost money because I've I've invested mm-hmm. for the last four years. Somebody maybe investing six, seven months might have a 
a different a different opinion. I, I agree with Charlie, but I, I always think these quotes make everything seem so easy and black and white, but there's always a little bit more depth and, and meaning behind it. For example, I just cannot do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I admire those who, who can, but you know, I, I cannot help but uh, looking at uh, macro forecasts, for example, now and, uh, and think, okay, the probability of a recession is so high. Why should I invest uh, 100% of my cash flow this month or next month and next month? And then, of course, we don't know what will happen. But yeah. sometimes, you know, there's, there's a market cycle. The risk reward becomes skewed towards the yeah. end of the cycle. So it's, uh, it's complex, but, but it's good to, to know somebody who, who can. <laughs> yes, I, I can tell you, if I took your approach, whatever I decided, the market would do the opposite. <laughs> if I said wait, <laughs> the market would go up, and if I said buy it, it would go down. So I, I yeah. prefer not to take my chances and um, just just try and balance it out. Give, give myself the best best opportunity for not making a mistake by just doing it consistently every month. I think is the is my key takeaway, I suppose. And I think, guy, I mean, you are buying some stocks now, even though you are afraid of a recession. Yes. I think maybe that yeah. That applies more if you were just indexing, for example, right? So you either buy everything or not. Yeah, okay. I, but in your case, you are yeah, buying yeah. some shares of Google, for example, because it, it reached a valuation where it's compelling for you to buy it, even though it might crash yeah. another 20% tomorrow. So I guess it, maybe your yeah. approach is also halfway, I would, I would say. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not full in or full out, of course, but, uh, but still... Uh, you know, the, the, the amount of cash in the portfolio depends on these macro views that could be wrong, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, but still, yeah, it's, uh, it's very hard to, for me to, to say, okay, let, let's go full in now. Even, even, you know, there are very good companies at sound value, valuations, but still the way I, I, I approach this is that, and with Matt, we, we do the same, is that we become more and more selective as things become more and more uncertain. At some point, you know, if we have a 50% drawdown because of a huge recession, essentially you can buy the, the index and you'll do fine. But when you are now, like when, when you live in, in this uh, kind of times, I think that it's very risky actually to index. You know, one thing that I always thought is that there's a lot of recency bias. And so, you know, indexing and passive investing had a beautiful run, yeah, of course, yeah. because risk assets in the US have done very well for the last 20 years. But even though there were, you know, two, two big crashes in 2000, 2008, I think that uh, the same wouldn't be the the normal thought of an investor in 77 okay i guess derek okay. we want to thank you again for today i hope it yes. hasn't been uh too too boring i hope you enjoy the conversation with <laughs> us and really thank you a lot to uh, accept our invitation it was uh, very nice for us and we hope also for people that might listen to this and uh, we hope also to stay in contact we we're gonna of course keep following you and uh, until you reach your financial goals and even after we'll add all the links to the podcast and blog let's keep in touch thanks a million for having me i had lots of fun um, I honestly enjoy meeting and talking to new people, particularly from a European perspective. It's it's quite nice. So we will we will certainly keep in touch and keep going. You're doing you're doing an awesome job, Toby. Thank you very much, Great. Derek, and uh, we'll Thank see you, you soon. Then, bye bye. Bye now. Bye.